Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No the following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 24th, the This Job Sucks edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I am the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who's four years old, and of Eliza, who is eight. My name is Carvel Wallace, and I am a writer podcaster in Oakland, California, and I am the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. And I'm Allison Benedict. I'm executive editor of Slate, and I am the mom of Harry, who is 10, Sam, who is 8, and Wally, who's 5. Rebecca Lavoie is out this week. Today on our show, we've got a question about teenagers without parental supervision, and we've got another about an 11-year-old who's having trouble with his writing. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails, we'll make recommendations, and on Slate Plus, we're going to take a third question. This one is about peeing. Let's start with triumphs and fails. Allison, welcome to the show. Good to have you back. Do you have a triumph or a fail for us? I have a triumph. Nice. Uh, my triumph is that I overcame the judgment of my parenting peers to take Sam, who just turned eight, to see Dear Evan Hansen for his birthday. I don't know if you guys know the story uh, of Dear Evan Hansen. It's a Broadway show, and it has some pretty adult themes. The story kind of focuses on a suicide, and then there's another suicide attempt. Sam's been listening to the music for about a year. He really loves it. He's been asking to go. About six months ago, my husband John and I decided this is what we'd get him for his birthday. They're hard tickets to get. Um, we're not really much of like a theater, musical theater family, but this was something he really cared about. So we were psyched. We knew he'd be really psyched to open the present. And then as the time got closer, I mentioned this to a couple of people, friends and just like parents at birthday parties, at like kid birthday parties. And I got a lot of like extreme side eye or like, oh, interesting. Do you know what that show's about? (laughs) And (laughs) And I panicked. Um, I started Googling, like, how old Dear Evan Hansen, what age kid Dear Evan Hansen. Apparently, the appropriate age is 14 or, like, a very mature 14-year-old. And so I worried, and I talked to John, and he told me to stop Googling and that Sam knew the story, which it's true. We talked – I mean, he he knew the soundtrack, but also we had talked a lot about the story because he was curious. Um, So we just decided to go for it anyway. He was – Definitely the youngest person in the theater. When we went to like buy T-shirts afterwards, they don't make kid T-shirts because kids don't really go see the show. Uh, but he loved it. And I think he understood as much as he needed to understand and some other stuff he probably didn't understand. And I'm fine with that. I, I didn't remember. I had seen this already with my mother. I didn't remember how often they say fuck. And that was like a pleasant surprise for him. Like he was pretty excited by that. Uh <laughs> And I feel like I feel pretty good about it. I mean, afterwards, we asked him if he had questions and we were trying to, like, have a conversation about it. And he didn't really. And it wasn't none of it was a surprise to him. I think I'll probably bring it up again in like a quiet moment in a couple of days and just make sure like he's not thinking about it or troubled by it. But I'm going to call this one a triumph because I think it's sometimes good to know your I think it's always good, actually, to know your own kid and uh, not always trust the judgment of message boards and parents at birthday parties. That's really cool. I mean, there's also there's that thing of like, 
when you were a kid, you probably saw something that was like nominally too old for you and yeah. it became a really important part of your like cultural foundation. Yeah. And it just seems like you can take that too seriously, the rules about what's appropriate and what isn't. I actually really clearly remember, remember my parents taking me to see, again, I'm saying we're not a theater family, but I grew up going to theater a lot and they took me to a chorus line was I, when I was pretty young. And there's some pretty adult stuff in a chorus line. That's, you know, it was my favorite, favorite show. Yeah. yeah. I have a fail this week, and it's sort of the inverse of that one, actually. I, um, you know, we, on this show, we've talked about the movie Into the Spider-Verse. Um, I wasn't here when Isaac Butler recommended it. Obviously, it's a fantastic movie. I went to see it in the theater without my kids because I wanted to see it. It's terrific. Go see it. Um, obviously, Leo, who loves superheroes, really wants to go see it. There's a Spider-Man movie. It's out in the theater. He knows about Miles Morales, the new Spider-Man character. He really wants to go see it. I saw it partly to sort of adjudicate whether it would be too scary for him, and I decided it probably was like borderline too scary for him, at least to watch in a theater. Um, but I, I decided like I would reconsider when it became available at you know for home viewing because it's less scary that way. You can go in the other room, and besides, here's your all your stuff. It just feels it's not in a dark room with a giant screen. Right. There's some scary stuff. There's somebody dies, and there's big scary bad guys, and like he would be scared in a theater. Um, and so last weekend I went away on a trip and I, I came back Sunday night and, you know, Monday was Martin Luther King Day. And so the deal was I was going to hang out with them when they didn't have school on Martin Luther King Day and, and make up for not being around over the weekend. And, as you know, before I went away on the trip, I was poking around on the iTunes store looking at like movies and I saw like a poster of Into the Spider-Verse. And I was like, oh, huh, I guess it's one of those things where it like is available on the iTunes store at the same time that it's still in theaters. And so... I should think about like whether maybe that's appropriate for the kids. And then they brought it up again and he wanted to see it. And Eliza wanted to see it too. And it's unfair that she doesn't get to see stuff because she has a little brother, even though she's definitely mature enough to go see it. And so I wound up saying, okay, guys, when I come back from this trip to L.A., then I will, you know, we'll be hanging out on Monday. And in the afternoon, we can watch Into the Spider-Verse at home. And, and it won't be too scary for you because if it gets scary, you can just go in the other room or I'll cover your eyes or something like that. And they were super excited for me to come home so that we could watch Into the Spider-Verse. And then I come home. I have a trip. I come home. I'm happy to see them. I got them presents that they were happy with the little presents. And then we're going to watch it. It's Monday afternoon. We're going to watch a movie. And I go on the iTunes store. You can't watch Into the Spider-Verse <laughs> on the iTunes very- store. Yeah. Confused. What I the? think all of us knew where this was going what with the this world ending because we were like, wait, what? What, what was I thinking? This, this isn't a thing. Uh, like, no oh, idea. It's one of those things where you can still watch it on iTunes store even when it's in the movie. That's not a thing at all. I, I, what I clicked like on that. the thing I had seen and it's like pre-order. Right. I can, you can pre-order. Yeah that, yeah, that doesn't help the kids. They're not excited that I just pre-ordered into the Spider-Verse. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that was a huge bummer and I had to explain to them that we would not be watching into the Spider-Verse today. Um, and then we had to find another movie to watch, which was bad because not only do we not get to watch Into the Spider-Verse, but instead we get to have the argument in which one of the kids wants to watch one class of movie and another kid mm. wants to watch just a completely different class of movie. The age and gender gulf between my children right now is yes. wide enough that there's no obvious like compromise movie yeah. choice. Like She's like... Yes. I want to watch this teenager romance movie. And he's like, I want to watch this movie about trucks. And like, there's right. no intersection <laughs> totally. yeah. totally. among those things. And in the yeah. end, we had the ultimate failure. We ended up watching Shrek 
which I had never seen, but man, Shrek hey. is a, a fucking lousy movie. That movie, <laughs> hey, that, hey, that, hey. That, there that will be no t- Shrek bashing here. <laughs> that I, I don't know how long it's been since you've seen Shrek, but that movie has everything that's obnoxious and annoying about that period in culture. <laughs> the, Did they like it, though? They liked it okay. They didn't yeah, love it. Yeah, that's all that matters. I, the I, kids I, were happy. I fell asleep to the, just, the, there's something so grating about that particular kind of, like, sarcastic fairy tale. <laughs> like, like, oh, it's a fairy tale but the characters are all saying like contemporary sarcastic things. Ugh. Don't you get it? <laughs> they I have hated an edge. It. It's brilliant. It's like the best of both worlds. Oh, it's the worst of everything. <laughs> fucking Shrek. And, 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 the, oh, and the animation is fucking 2003 trying to do facial expressions from the Uncanny Valley. Horrible movie. Don't see Shrek. Wait for Into the Spider-Verse, which will be available on iTunes in like 2021 or something like that. It's so sad. Carvel, how about you? Do you have a triumph or a fail? I have a fail that I wrested from the hands of a triumph, and uh, it's this is another one involving Ezra. I haven't been talking a whole lot about Georgia in my triumphs and fails, uh, mostly because things are floating along just as they are with her, and there is one <laughs> pending th- sort of like large drama, large scale drama with Georgia. But I, I, she made me promise not to talk about it on air, so we're not. Well, she didn't make me promise, but I haven't. She's at. She doesn't want me to. So I can't say much about what she's going through, but let's just say she's On a Slate Plus she's going, today, we'll be hearing about what George is really going through. <laughs> she's going through middle school stuff with middle school kids, and it's very middle school. But um, in any event, uh, but she's doing great. Uh, but Ezra, um, Ezra had this thing. It was the first day of, of class, of the new semester, even though they started... They do this weird thing where they come back from break and there's another week in the final in the first semester and then they start the new semester. I don't know why they do that, but that's what they did. So this was their second week after break. And the first day and then Monday was obviously the holiday. So Tuesday was the first day of the new semester. And it began with this thing called intercession, which is a little which is basically everyone in the in their class gets to select one of like five different little mini field trips that they can take. And so Ezra decided to go in this. He he. He decided to go on this field trip that was, quote, a bike tour of the Fruitvale District, which is this district in uh, Oakland that's got uh, a lot of history and culture and murals and so forth. Ezra, in typical Ezra fashion, did not read any of the materials before signing up for this thing. He just realized that, like, the sign-up deadline was, like, midnight, and so he signed up at, like, 11.59, didn't didn't read it. Turns out he needed a bike and a helmet and a thing because it was a bike tour. It was a bike tour, and he didn't know it was a bike tour. So he didn't have a bike. And so, of course, we went through the whole drama where two days before, he's like, oh, I'm dead. Like, I was, okay, so, like, can you buy me a bike because I signed up for this thing? And, you know, and, and it was a whole thing, and I was like, I'm not buying you shit. This is you. You screwed yourself. But then his mother was a little bit more patient, but wasn't going to buy a bike. But then they worked out how he could rent one. And he rent, he rented one and he went in the thing and it was fine. And that was sort of my first fail was I feel like I was a little bit like, nope, you're on your own. If you failed, you're, you know, if you don't get your intercession credits or whatever the hell it is, that's on you because you signed up for the thing and you didn't. And um, he ended up going. His mother was a little bit more patient, like I said. So he ended up going, and he ended up having actually a great time. He learned a lot. He had great experience. They it was a pretty significant distance ride that they covered, and you know he just it just he came back that evening with a lot of stuff on his mind, and he really enjoyed it. And I it, I could see that it was useful to him all the way around. And I'm sort of like, Ugh, if it had been just me, I would have just made him miss it as some kind of like lesson. Which why you know, so that was the first fail. But the second one was. Um, he, we were talking on the phone after he got back. He was at his mom's house, but he, I 
called him or he called me and we and they ended up becoming this hour-long conversation where we just talked about music and movies and told me about his day and I told him about mine and all this stuff. And it was a great conversation. And then at the end of the conversation as we were as we were winding up, I said something like, I'm so glad you I'm so glad you had a great time today. Oh no, he mentioned that he and his mother had been in a little bit of conflict. He said cuz mom was really stressed out that I would like mess up the bike somehow cuz it was a rental or lose the key or whatever. And so she was really stressed out, so we were kind of arguing a little bit today. And I said, "Well, to be honest, I think we both were a little worried that you somehow wouldn't get through the whole thing without messing it up." And then the whole tone of the conversation changed. He just got really quiet and he was like, "What do you mean?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, you know, we just I mean, we figured that you would get it right but you know we were you know maybe uh, and i just realized i totally put my foot in my mouth because he just was like i he just was so hurt by that and we had been having such a good conversation and it was so clear such a crystallization of the dynamic that we have where 80 percent of the time he feels like i support him and love him and then 20 percent of the time i can see that from his point of view it feels like i'm just critical and never believe in him and I could see it so clearly in that conversation because it switched on a dime when I said that. And I didn't have to say that. And as I was saying it, I was like, this is a little risky, but I think we've been having a good enough conversation that I can get this in and we can laugh about it. And But it didn't go that way. <laughs> we, did, we didn't laugh about it. He actually was like, actually, Dad, I, I'm, I have to go. And, I, and then I said, I'm so sorry. Like, is, He was like, I was like, was it what I just said? He was like, yeah, like, that's just, I don't. I don't, that's not cool. Like, I'm, that's not fun. Like, you guys never believe in me. And then it was, uh, you know, and then we, I, we, we recovered and it was fine. And, but it was in some ways, it was a painful learning moment for me as a parent because I could see how clearly he wants me to support him and believe in him and how I'm still struggling with that because I feel like it's part of my responsibility to point things out and like show him where he could be better and that kind of thing. And it's just like, ugh, relax, bro is my message to myself. So there we go. That's my fail. Uh, that is a very familiar dynamic to me. I do that to my kids mm. a lot. And then always afterwards think like, wait, why? Why? What was the purpose there? Like, what was I trying to accomplish <laughs> yeah. with that? Uh, yeah. Like passive aggressive, casual comment with an agenda. Like it's a, it's always yeah. like a casual comment with an agenda. And they, they get, they hear the agenda. They pick it up. And I, yeah. and I did, I did have to ask myself, what was I trying to accomplish? And I think it was like, I was trying to get me and him on the same page about the situation. Like, that's what it was. I was trying to get him to see things from my point of view. Like, see how he has lost a lot of keys, and so we were worried he's lost the key, and he has forgotten a lot of things, and so we were worried that he would forget the thing. I wanted him to see that. Because I felt like it, it would justify my behavior in his, in his view, which is, of course, the exact thing that he does to me. So here we are trapped in this dynamic where we're both trying to get the other person to see things from our point of view. And so we would be on exact equal footing, except I'm a fucking grown up and he's a 15 year old. And so I have to be the grown up here and stop trying to like make my son like prove to my son that I'm right. Like that's, I really got to like step back from that. So lesson learned though painfully. Yeah. The sad irony is that you, you probably wouldn't have tried to joke with him about that if you hadn't been feeling very close to him. If you hadn't just been yes. having this phone call where it felt like you were on the same level and that maybe yes. lulled you into a, a false sense that you could sort of bring him into your ironic detachment from his disorganization. And, right. And yes. It was like an operate. opportunity to, to – yes. it was an opportunity because things were feeling good and close. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's exactly uh, right. 
I mean, I also think in your first thing, I mean, the two are related, but I struggle with this as well. Like every every interaction does not need to be a lesson, but a lot of them do. So I don't know when the ones should be (laughs) and when they shouldn't be. Like, I don't know how to know. (laughs) (laughs) With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you want us to answer, you can leave us a message. The phone number is 424-255-7833, or you can send us an email. The email address is momanddad at slate.com. Uh, also, you should be a member of our Facebook group. Go on Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. People are discussing this episode. They're, well, they're not discussing it yet because it hasn't been released yet, but they're discussing last week's episode, and they will be discussing this week's episode. At the time that you're hearing this, you understand uh, what I'm saying. Go on Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. On Slate Plus today, we're going to talk about peeing. We got another uh, voicemail from a listener who wants to know when is it and when is it not appropriate to allow your kid to, to urinate uh, in the public sphere. Uh, we're going to get into that uh, right after this show. So uh, if you're a Slate Plus member, uh, look out for that. Uh, If you're not a Slate Plus member and you want to hear that segment or another one like it every week, I mean, they're not all about peeing, but you get the drift. Uh, If you want to hear an extra segment every time, uh, sign up for Slate Plus. Just $35 for your first year. You get no ads in any of your Slate podcasts. You get extra segments on this and your other favorite shows, assuming that your favorite shows are the ones that have the extra segments. You get to support Slate and all of the work we do. Go to slate.com slash plus. Sign up for Slate Plus today. Okay, let's go. Time now to take a question from a listener. This one came to us over voicemail. If you want to give us a voicemail, you can call us 424-255-7833. Let's hear the question. Hi, Mom and Dad. I have a question about teenagers and limits. And it came up because my 14-year-old daughter got invited to a friend's house, and she's been to this friend's house before. I said, sure, of course. I drop her off, and then while she's there, I see the parents posting on social media about being at an event, which is a one-time event. They were definitely gone while my child was there. I don't even know if they knew she was coming. And I immediately flip out. And so my question then to myself was, what am I afraid of? And what I'd like to ask you is, what are we afraid of? Um, I know that Rebecca had a list a while ago. I seem to remember something about things you can experiment with once things you can never try, that kind of distinction. So that's what I'd like to kind of um, lay out. Where is that line? And what should we be afraid of? Um, What are we protecting them from? All right. Thank you. Hmm. I'll go first because this is like right where I'm at, right where we are. Um, I think that the first thing that you need to, as a parent, address in the situation is the fact that the other parents weren't there and you didn't know that because your kid didn't tell you. This, before we get to, that's a prologue to all the other stuff about what are we afraid of and all the sort of philosophical questions about parenting at this age. 
as a factual thing, your kids should know that having a sleepover without parental supervision, without adult supervision, like in the house, is a big enough deal that they should clear it with you first before before it happens. Now, it doesn't mean that your daughter, like, schemed and planned and was going to try to play it off and all that stuff, although that's possible, but you, that's, you can't accuse her of that. You don't know. But So I think the first thing is that it is a big deal because they had a sleepover with a bunch of kids and no adults were in the building, and that's an important thing to know in advance and sign off on. That said, the question of whether or not you sign off on it, such a thing, I think varies d- greatly from person to person, family to family, parent to parent, kid to kid. And so I don't think there are hard and fast rules about things like that at that age. That w- There would be a hard and fast rule against, say, a seven-year-old going to a sleepover with all seven-year-olds and no adults. But I think at 14, there's not hard and fast rules. There are so many factors. And some of those factors have to do with what you suspect is the likelihood of any of the number of the following things happening. The things you're worried about are drugs, sex, violence, and injury. That's basically the four things you're worried about and any combination therein. And I think you get to worry about each of those things differently based on your kid. And I think you get to worry about each of them differently based on the situation. I think that at this point, depending on your kids, a lot of 14-year-olds are into weird shit. This is the point at which drinking and pot are the main things that 14-year-olds are like sort of like starting to experiment with and seeing on Instagram and wondering about and trying. And they know someone who does it and someone's older brother can get pot from someone in high school and now it's floating around. That's the, this is the age where that's happening. And depending on your point of view on that, that could be a thing where you're just like, hell fucking no. And if you know that the kids that your daughter's hanging around are sort of like kind of like that and, <clears throat> you know, and that that's the world they operate in, then then you're going to be worried about that. I think the sex thing is the other thing that you're worried about. And Rebecca, you know, I, I, I would I hope that she hops on the Facebook page and talks about this because, you know, she's talked a lot about her feelings about sex at this age and she feels like and I agree that you can't keep kids from having sex obviously that's why we're all you know that's how we all got born Uh, and so you can't keep people from doing it I think that at that age kids aren't you know it's like unlikely that 14 year olds are like fully ready to just full on just have all the sex but people are going to be starting to experiment and the main thing you're wanting is for kids to be prepared for the emotional realities of that the physical realities the social realities of that all the feelings all the ways that people hurt each other all the confusions all the doubts that's what you have to prepare for you can't keep that from happening but you have to make you don't want your kid to be in a situation where that's a possibility if you don't feel that they're properly prepared or at least as prepared as you can make them. So that's the other thing that you're worried about in terms of the um, safety and injury, that stuff where it's just like, I mean, if you get alcohol and drugs in there, that increases the and sex that increases the likelihood of that. Again, that goes back to how much you trust these kids, how much you trust the situation. That's your kid and the other kid who you should know as well as you can. All those are factors, but those are the things you're afraid of. Um, And then, and just, you know, and if you feel like kids are, the kids that you're talking about are a little slow on the uptake, a little slow on the, like, growing up part, then, yeah, you're worried that they're going to be, like, start a fire trying to fucking heat up some pizza or some weird shit, like the time my brother put a paper plate full of pancakes in the oven. Like, (laughs) stuff like that. God bless you, Red, but that happened. And, uh, And so I feel like, I feel like, you have to know your own kid well enough to know if you feel like they can navigate a situation like that. That's those. Those are my thoughts. What do you What do you guys think about that? Actually, cosign everything you say. But I have a practical question since I don't have a kid of that age yet. 
kids being alone at 14 seems fine to me. Um, all the concerns you raise are like the things to be concerned about. So I agree with mm-hmm. all of that. But like, how do you actually, okay, your kid, like you're no longer setting up play dates anymore. Your kids are doing all of their social calendar yeah. setting on their own. Like what should she have done? Like called the parents or texted the yes. parents? Yeah. Yes. I would have, I would have, well, it depends on the relationship. In this situation, if you find out, it's too late now because she finds out as the kids are already there. So unless she's really willing to just go full embarrassing mom and just like roll up to the house in the minivan and start screaming from the outside, get in this car right now, um, which I don't, unless your kid has given you a reason to go that nuclear, I don't think you really should do. I think at that point, you can't do anything about it. You can't, you know, I think afterwards I would reach out to the parents and say, hey, I found out that you guys weren't there. My kid didn't say that uh, that you guys weren't going to be there. And I just want to make sure that, you know, I just want to know if, you're, if your daughter told you that my kid was going to be there just so we're on the same page. I think it's fine even for parents that you don't have a close relationship with to do that kind of information sharing and watching each other's backs because you need to because kids, God bless them, are a little on the sneaky side at this age. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and, like, obviously you guys are right, and yet my heart is entirely with the 14-year-olds who want to have an unchaperoned sleepover and think that that's fun and exciting. Like, maybe Mm. it's because I never, like, got into real trouble, so I don't have a clear sense of, like, the dangers. Um, but, but it, yeah, I, you know, there's, there's just those moments when you find yourself having to enforce like parental rules and you f- discover that you don't actually believe in the rules. And I feel like this would be one of them. For me. <laughs> well, we have no idea if they actually wanted to have a sha- uh, unchaperoned sleepover. It's like, it seems possible to me that the daughter invited the friend over and her parents were going out that night. And it just seems like a kind of normal thing. Like my parents go out on a Saturday night, I'm having a friend over. Like that doesn't seem necessarily like they were scheming i guess i mean it's clear that the the caller the mom of the visiting friend who called us um it's clear that this is a violation of the rules of their household right or she wouldn't have called and so presumably the daughter who visits and finds that there are no parents whether she knew that that was going to be the case or not right like she knows that her mom at least needs to be checked in with on this but like if it then seems more exciting not to check in with your mom and then, like, I, I, you know, if they then wind up, like, just watching movies and eating pizza that they didn't burn in the oven and, and like, having a sort of, I don't know, doing whatever kind of slightly naughty shit that they want to do that is not actually life-threatening or, or damaging, um, I, you know, I, I want to defend the rights of teenagers to have the space to do that, even though often they're going to fuck it up. By- yeah, so- so do I. I mean, I don't think what Carvel is saying is, I mean, kids go to parties all the time and don't tell you where they are. They go. I mean, that's just like part of life. Right. But she just happened to find out about this. Yeah. So I so it raises this is why I started with that thing about what the rules are around this stuff, because I think no matter what the situation is, no matter how good your kid is or isn't, no matter how much you trust their friends or how sometimes the other thing. I mean, I think as a side note, I think it's really hard when you have little kids to recognize that. Just to imagine that sometimes when your kids are older, they will be friends with shady people that you don't like. Mm. And you you will look at these friends and you will look at their lives and you will look at their parents and you'll be like, this person is trouble. I, I know this person is trouble. I can see it. And you can't keep them from being friends. But you when they when you're when your precious loved one is like, hey, I'm going to go over to so and so's house and we're just going to hang out. You're immediately imagining the the version of so and so that you knew in in middle school and high school, and you're like, yeah. So it's not 
kids are innocent and wonderful and we want them to have a good time. But the older your kid gets, the more different kinds of kids they're around is all I'm saying. So that's that. But the other thing is that I, that's why I think it's important that the, the main thing here is that she didn't tell her mom she was going to a thing that was unsupervised and she should have. That should be a blanket rule because mom has to sign off on that or parent has to sign off on that. And if mom wasn't told or parent wasn't told, it could be because it just didn't occur and it was just got lost in the transfer of information. Not a big deal. No one was trying to scheme. That's what you assume. Or it could be because she knew that if she went to mom and said, hey, can I go over so-and-so's house with no, with no parents around, mom would have said, I don't think so. I'm not comfortable with that yet. And so you have to head both of that stuff all off at the all of that stuff off at the pass by establishing an expectation around communication because this navigating through this age is not about keeping kids from doing terrible stuff you can't they have freedom they're going to look out and do the things they want to do this age is about communication it's about establishing clear pathways for communication it's about not fucking up the existing pathways for, for communication it's about setting up rules and expectations around communication that go both ways that's the chief thing at this age I also think the caller is is a little bit with you, Gabe, because she wouldn't have asked, what am I afraid of, if she was sure that this was a terribly dangerous thing. Yeah, that, I, exactly. I think that's probably right. And I, I, I think, Carvel, I'm entirely with you on the first part. When I think back to some of the shady characters from my own past, then, yeah, don't, <laughs> don't, don't get near my fucking kids, asshole. Um, and then on the second point about, like, like I, yes, communication, super important. I understand that. I'm sure you're right. At the same time, the idea that the kid wants that sphere of privacy where not only they get to not have parents around, but they get to their parents not even know that that's going on. I'm sympathetic to that desire, even though it might not be the... the might not actually be the thing that you should let them have. Sure. I they'll, mean, they'll take it no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's like, yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is that when you're when you're the parent, your job is the parent, not the teenager. The yeah. teenager's job is to teenage. Your job <laughs> is to adult. Yeah. <laughs> so Right. My mom so, used to always say like she could never say it was okay for me to go drink. But she hoped that I was exactly. going to drink. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly it. It's a paradox, but that's what the fuck it is. But you're, when the kids are teenagers, it becomes super clear to you, your job is to be the adult. Of course you have sympathy and understanding and connection, and you remember when you felt that way and you hope for things for them. And you, But that's all to the side. Your job is to actually do the parenting. Yeah. The reality is that you guys meet. The, ex- the real experience meets somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But you've got to hold down your end and they got to hold down their end so that you guys can travel safely down the middle path. Well, it's a stupid job. I hate this fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> Gabe just wants I to go to a sleepover and be with his friend. rebelling against authority as like a 40-something-year-old dad. <laughs> so true. Time now to take another question from a listener. This one uh, came to us over email. You can email us at momanddad at slate.com. Uh, this one is being read for us by Slate IT, which Shasha Leona. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My 11-year-old is an A student in everything but English. He reads only comics willingly and chapter books with a fair amount of prodding. Hence, it is not surprising that our reluctant reader is a poor writer. His writing boils down to a series of facts strung along with filler words and five ways to repeat the same idea. There's very little substance, emotion, elaboration on a theme, original thought, point of view, or narrative imagination. I have encouraged him to write letters to his grandfather about his week. I have asked him to keep a journal. Nothing works. His school system is unhelpful. 
The teachers say he needs to focus more as he does not follow assignment instructions well. Our son has no learning disabilities. What can we do to improve his love of language, and especially love of reading and writing? Gabe's daughter loves reading. Rebecca's son writes a mean college admission essay, and Carvel's son surprised him with a great essay the other day. What are you doing that I'm not? Thanks. All right. I. <laughs> this is so... <laughs> this is rough, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think this is probably a three-step process. I think there's a three-step uh, pedagogical process for this kid here. Step one is stop critiquing his writing he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't need his mom critiquing the degree of um let me go back to the text of the letter he, he doesn't he doesn't need his mom assessing the level of substance emotional elaboration on a theme original thought point of view or narrative imagination i feel you because obviously good writing and writing with these qualities is something that's important to you and something that's a meaningful part of i presume yourself and what you can do and what you value uh, and and so this is a thing where your son is is disappointing you because he's not producing the thing that you value or the thing that you want from him. But um, you know, listing the qualities that his writing doesn't have or that you wish it had, or trying to give him exercises to write letters to his grandparents, or or try to give him exercises that you, he knows how you feel about this, and and pushing him is not gonna push him in the direction that you want to push him. Um, so that's step one. Step two is he's a straight A student in, in every other thing, which means that he, he's neither dumb nor like not paying attention or making an effort or whatever. So there's something else that he's interested in. Um, and it, 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 it may be that step two is to like value that and, and uh, cherish that and appreciate that and probably not get too close to that, but just recognize that like he's going to grow up to be good at and interested in something else other than literature or, or writing and, and that that is who your son is and, and that's okay. Step three is then to wait and see and maybe at some point he will discover that it'll be useful to him to be able to express himself in, in written English and then he might want some help in some capacity, but he's not going to ask you for it or his teachers for it if like the big overriding problem of this year of his life is that he's not a good writer. That's not a situation where he's going to ask anybody for help with this at all. Um, and it may be that step three ends up with him learning to write in a way that's useful for him or it may not. And this may always be something he struggles with while he is good at and attentive to other things. Uh, that's the end of the process, I'm afraid. Yeah, I just uh, some kids just aren't good writers and some kids aren't good at math and some kids love to read and some kids don't and they just do the bare minimum that they have to do for their assignments. I mean, I think if the feedback you're getting from the teachers is that he's not following instructions, which seems different than like his writing isn't strong enough. Uh, I think you can like go over the instructions with him. I mean, I think you like there's a little bit of prodding you can do there. Um, he needs to like complete the assignment, but he doesn't need to com complete the assignment in a, you know, beautiful way. And if this is the kind of thing that he just, like, phones in, I, I just, yeah, I, I just think you kind of let it go. I, and I don't think you can create, I, I actually don't think you can create a great writer. I mean, maybe a teacher can. Maybe he'll be inspired at some point by a teacher. But uh, I wouldn't put that pressure on yourself or on him. And I wouldn't compare yourself to Gabe and Carvel and Rebecca or their kids. Yeah, we I'm suck. Sure no, but I'm sure there are things your kids aren't great at. Yeah. 
I, it's true. And yeah, I mean, I <laughs> can confirm. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I as a person who loves writing and, of course, would love for my kid to be a great writer. And, and, and I have two kids and some of them sometimes they are. I mean, Georgia, actually, her writing really impresses me, although she continues to insist she doesn't care about it. She's like one of those people that is like. I don't even care about this. This is stupid. And then writes the most beautiful stuff. Carvel, you're like, not helping the listener. You're, you're not helping her yet. <laughs> whereas Ezra, whereas Ezra has been r- running around boldly proclaiming himself an artist since he was like three months old. And honestly, most of what he writes, <laughs> he's he struggled with because he doesn't focus and he doesn't pay attention and he kind of doesn't care and uh, about m- being meticulous. And then he did write this essay that was really good, but he's 15. And <laughs> at 11... His his writing, I could have written this letter about his writing, um, but uh, the thing is, all of it, having a good writer, having a kid that's a good writer is entirely optional and, and completely immaterial to the worthiness, happiness, goodness of your kid. It's completely unnecessary. Unless your kid is somehow failing English in a way that's going to prevent them from, like, moving out of your house and feeding themselves— this is not a thing I would worry about, ever. I would not worry about this. Your kid is amazing. And part of your job as a parent is to find the ways in which they're amazing, not to make them amazing according to your own definitions of that. And that gets confusing because there's so much overlap between what we value and what our kids end up valuing that oftentimes we can take that overlap and confuse it for some measure of influence over how they turn out to be amazing. And we may even have some influence, but that's um, luck. That's dumb luck. We don't have, we should, it's best to proceed as though you have no input in the particular way in which your child turns out to be amazing. Whether it's through math, science, whether your child's an amazing gardener, your child's an amazing listener, your child is terrible at everything, but like makes a really good, you know, soup. (laughs) You don't know. And uh, or just your kid is like really good at like Call of Duty and he's terrible at everything else. You don't get to know what they're going to turn out to be because surprise, there are different people different than you. And and um, and so while I fully understand and deeply emotionally relate to this desire to have your kid reflect your own values and be the person that you mold them to be, my experience has been that you don't get to do that. You can celebrate it when that happens. But you don't get to make it happen. You should, and you most certainly, and this goes back to the first thing Gabe said, which really ties into my fail at the beginning of the thing. I'm still learning this, is that you 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 cannot criticize your kid for not being the way that you want them to be. And I know that in some level that sounds almost counterintuitive because we believe that that's what parenting is. You can guide your kid. You can show them things. You can tell them what you really want them to, you know, what you really think is good. Even that, to most kids, feels like criticism. So actual criticism feels like violence to kids because they're young and we mean a lot to them. And so you got to be super duper careful about your critical feedback of your kid. It's very hard to be it's very hard to be constructively critical of your own child from their point of view. It's not hard for us to do it. It's hard for that criticism to be constructive to them because it comes with a healthy dose of my mother doesn't accept me, which is a feeling no child should have. 
Um, so I would, I would back all the way off this and I would just start looking for ways to celebrate the fact that your child is awesome in every other way. That's what I think. All right. I, I think we've done a good job of debunking the entire premise of the question and I feel good about that. I now want to add one thing that I, I, that might qualify as a sort of productive suggestion in the direction that the person who wrote us this email was hoping for. And it's not directly about improving the kid's writing, but it's something that I, I think I might do if I were in this situation. Um, whatever it is that your kid likes or is interested in, which is probably something that is like, it's probably video games, frankly. It's probably video games or something that's the, the equivalent of video games that has no like stature and doesn't seem like it's going to be something that's going to earn them a living and, and probably doesn't command a ton of respect from most of the adults around. But whatever it is that your kid likes and pays attention to and spends his time on, I, th- I think you might try to nudge him to articulate what it is that he likes about it. I think that's the thing you can do that's not writing, but that's a bit like writing. If your kid likes Call of Duty but likes it better than Red Dead Redemption or whatever is the equivalent of Call of Duty that the kid doesn't like, ask the kid, why do you like this game and not that game? Why do you spend all your time playing this one and, and, and you don't like that one? What is it that makes this one a better game than that one? You don't, don't, write, don't ask him to write it down, obviously. That would be giving him video game homework. That would be horrible. But like at dinner or something, just try to draw it out of him and try to get him to sort of make an argument about it or articulate what are the particular things that he likes about this rather than that. And if he kind of brushes it off or gives you a pat answer, just in in a friendly and not critical way, try to elicit a little bit more out of him. Because I think learning to articulate and argue for your preferences and positions is probably a useful skill. It's one of the reasons why we value writing and why we teach kids writing. Um, And you can do that and engage with your kid without it involving like how they write. But if you find yourself doing it in a way that's like, that's not good enough, you have to articulate your position about Red Dead Redemption in a better and more articulate and insightful way, then just drop the whole thing because then you'll start fucking up again. Also, let him read what he wants to read. Like if he's reading, just let him read it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if he likes comic books, then like ask him to talk about the comic books, but mostly leave him alone to read the comic books. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, time now for the part of the show that we like to call recommendations. During this part of the show, we recommend things to you. Carvel, maybe you would like to recommend something. I, uh, I'm recommending, uh, an Instagram feed, which I've done before. And this one is animals doing things. 
And it's exactly what it sounds like. The thing I love about Instagram feed names is that they're usually the name of exactly what's on what's on the thing. And this is just animals being cute. And <laughs> this is very simple, and I love it. And uh, I, there's not much more I can say about it. I have another animal Instagram feed that's even more insanely absurd, but I'm going to save that one for later. So my recommendation is the IG feed, Animals Doing Things. It's got 2.8 million followers. It's all G-rated and, and safe for work and safe for family. And I just can't get enough of it. Nice. Uh, okay, I was going to recommend the Boxcar Children because do you remember the Boxcar ch- Children from when we were young? Yeah, dude. Uh, I started reading that, or I did. We did read the first one to two of my kids, and they really liked it. And it, uh, I had forgotten how much it's about. Like at least the first one, creating your own little house. Kids creating their own. They're like orphan kids creating their own little house in a boxcar, and like that feeling that kids love about thinking about creating their own little house in a small space. They just like they loved it. So. Uh, I would I recommend that. But actually, this conversation, several parts of this conversation reminded me to go find this old, uh, not old, from probably a week ago thread on Twitter uh, that I'm going to recommend. It's awful. Um, it's by this awful guy, Jesse Kelly. Ooh, sounds great. Yeah. No, but there's a point. Just, Wait. He's a, we're sending children to bad Twitter? No, no, no. Um, parents. Why? I'm t- sending parents to Twitter. Uh, there's this okay. uh, radio host. I'm a, Yeah, he's a right-wing radio host and Federalist uh, contributor named Jesse Kelly. He has a show, The Jesse Kelly Show. Uh, and he tweeted last weekend from his son's Lego Robotics Tournament. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, this went viral. That was insane. He tweeted how lame it was to be at this Lego robotics tournament and other dads have kids who like sports and my stupid kid is so lame and I can't believe I'm here and, you know, I'm going to hold my finger to my head and pretend like I'm shooting myself because this is so boring and I'm so embarrassed of my child. And it was like the extreme version of uh, of some of what we've talked about today. Like none of us would ever, ever do this. But the like the judgment within that thread um, of his child and his own sense of self relating to his child and things that his child likes and who he wants his kid to be and related to how he views himself and who he wants to be. All of that is tied up in some of the conversation we had today. So I feel like go check out that thread and uh, I'll put it we'll put it on the show page and it will make you like a less judgmental and better parent because you'll never want to be anything close to this guy. Nice. Uh <laughs> We were talking about uh, potato chips at the office today, so I'm going to recommend a family snack. Uh, I'm going to recommend a kind of potato chip. Uh, Allison was saying that she like she enjoys ruffles, those the, the potato chips that that are have a kind of wavy kind of shape, which gives them ridges. Um, yeah, I think yeah, they have ridges. Ruffles have ridges. Yeah. they have which gives them more surface area and little crevices where the flavor can hang out. Well, so what I want to recommend is a particular suspect science, but go flavor ahead. <laughs> of ruffles. Which is called all dressed. Have you ever tried no. all dressed? Oh yes. No. All, oh, those are so all good. All dressed is a, a it's flavor. Like an everything bagel. It, it's like an everything bagel. It's a flavor that's popular in Canada. That Ruffles has started manufacturing here in the United States. It combines uh, barbecue, ketchup, and salt and vinegar flavors huh. in one flavor of Ruffles. Uh, it started being sold in the United States in 2015. I, for one, think that our Canadian brethren from the north are onto a winner here. Um, I think for your next family cookout or gathering, you should get a big bag of uh, Ruffles all dressed. Thank you for the recommendation, Gabe. I will try those. It's really, I mean, I will say that it's, as a person who has, I wouldn't say that I went to Montreal to get Ruffles all dressed. I will say that when I got to Montreal, the first thing I did was try to find Ruffles all dressed. It, it, it's not easy to find in the U.S. everywhere. It depends on your local sort of locality. I don't think there's anywhere like in, in the Bay Area that sells them I don't think I, th- I know that they're that you can get them in New York, 
And some other cities, I, I, I've heard you can get them in Chicago, but I don't think they have them even in the Bay Area. So that's, they're hard to get, well, but they're worth If you happen to be at the Slate office in Metrotech in uh, downtown Brooklyn, you can find them at the little convenience store uh, oh. that also has British chocolate. I Not have, that hard to get. If you happen to be Allison Benedict, uh, you can find a bag in my desk drawer that I will <laughs> share with you today. Uh, those sound delicious. I've recently been turned on to the dill pickle chi- potato chips, uh, which are really good. pretty good, too. Oh, the kettle chips, the dill yeah. pickle kettle yeah. chips. Those are those are also really really yeah. good. Nice. I'm kind of a chip aficionado. I guess it's coming out. What's it's what's coming? Out. I feel like we need a spinoff podcast that's just about chips. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the <Snacks>. chips podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna look into that. All right, that's our show. Uh, if you have a question you want us to address, you can call us at four two four two five five seven eight three three or send us an email, momanddad at slate dot com. Uh, you can discuss this episode and any other parenting related matters at our Facebook group, facebook dot com slash groups slash slate parenting. That's a cumbersome URL, so just go to Facebook and type in Slate Parenting in the Facebook search bar. Uh, Our show was produced today by Max Jacobs. For Carvel Wallace and Allison Benedict, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.